it's good to see a lot of smiling faces this morning. Yes. I know it. Some of you are ready to celebrate this 4th of July. You know, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but at least in my neighborhood, I never realized on how uh, patriotic people are. You know, shooting off fireworks like, they must really love this country, I guess, you know? I, I, uh, I, I guess, I don't, I'm really too sure. Said, yeah, well, you know, we, they love their country. And... Yeah. <laughs> but, but on that note, uh, some of you are going to be celebrating the 4th of July tomorrow, probably uh, by hiding in your rooms uh, from all the bullets that are falling. But, uh, <laughs> but some, uh, we are going to join Emmanuel Baptist, which is over off of Baseline and uh, Boulder. And if you take the 210 east and get off on baseline and make a left or go east, there is a huge church out there called Emmanuel Baptist. And they have a fireworks show there. And they'll have some other activities as well, some game booths and some food booths and stuff. So if you'd like to join us, we're going to be there. Uh, there's, there are going to be a lot of people there. All of Highland pretty much shows up there and kind of parks around the area to watch the fireworks. But it starts at 6. The gates open up at 6. If you'd like to be there, uh, just show up and see if you can find us there. But uh, on that note, we are right in the middle of this portion of Scripture in Ephesians, excuse me, in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, as I mentioned last week, the letter is just a letter, just like any letter that you would write to anybody else. It's not a letter that has, uh, you know, chapters and verses as it does now. When Paul wrote this, the chapters and verses didn't actually come in until much later, not even the breakups. It was just one continuous letter, just like you would write a text to somebody, one continuous text, a long one. And in this sense, what Paul, what Paul had done as he penned this so that this way the, the, the people in Philippi could read what Paul was trying to get across. And so, as I mentioned last week, in chapter 2, verse 1, it says so, or in other words, it could say therefore, or because of. So, in, in essence, what he's doing is he's pointing back to what he just said. And, and the, the chapters, they didn't come into play until about the 1600s. Actually, there was some time before that. They started putting some, some uh, verse, uh, breaks and, and some different types of indicators as to where the letter was going. But for Paul, he was just writing one long letter. And so... When you look at this word so, you got to go back to verse 29 and, and read from there. Actually, you need to go all the way back to uh, the beginning of the chapter. But we'll go back to 29 where it says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul is referring to his time in prison that he was in. Paul is referring to the time in prison where he is now. What I once had, I was in prison. I was persecuted. I was beat up. I was left for dead. I was uh, thrown in, in prison, falsely accused. I'm in prison now. I am being persecuted. I'm getting ready to be executed. And so you've heard of all these things about me. So you need to engage in the same conflict, Paul says, that you saw I had. And so what Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, and he goes on, So, looking back, if, looking forward, there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, 
complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, he says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than you than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. What Paul had in mind here, he says, you know, in all the things that I've gone through, all the things that I'm going through, I want you to have the same mind as I do. I still strive forward. We'll find out a little bit later that he presses on toward the goal. We'll find out later as he continues forward looking at Jesus Christ. And what he wants to do is keep everybody on the same page. Unfortunately, for a lot of churches, not everybody's on the same page. As a matter of fact, church after church, different churches have different ideas and different thoughts. And there are different uh, doctrines and there's different teachings in different churches. And they're not all on the same page. And there are, there are a bunch that are. We have, we have the view that God is highly uh, exalted here. We have a high view of God. And so therefore, we treat uh, one another with that understanding that God is highly exalted. He's above all things. And so therefore, we as human beings recognize that we're sinful. And because we're sinful and because we have come in, been contaminated by this world, we try to do whatever we can to be able to uh, rid ourselves of that sin, whether by the way we talk, the way we walk, the way we live, the things we do, the things we say. And we, we rid ourselves and we sacrifice ourselves and we bow ourselves before God every morning and we say, Lord, please forgive me. I am a wretched sinner, but thank you for saving me by your grace. I recognize your holiness. I recognize that I have offended you. I recognize that, that without you, I am nothing. I am nothing. And so in the process of it all, Paul is saying, look, I am nothing. And as a matter of fact, Paul can actually really just say that he really lived it. If you remember, Paul was actually Saul. Saul was a, a, one of the high-ranking Pharisees of the day. Saul was on his way to become the next high priest. Saul was on his way to be one of the top-notch teachers and orators of the time. They, they looked at him because he, he was with zeal. He really believed with all his heart, with all his mind, and all, with all his feelings. He really believed that he was doing God's work. He really believed that this group of people they called the way and somewhere in Antioch they called them little Christos or Cristianos as we, we are called now and, and that was a derogatory term because they says you guys are just like that guy they crucified on the cross and, and, and Paul was after these men and the Bible tells us that after Paul had or Saul had um, condoned the stoning of Stephen that he left to Damascus breathing murderous threats. Can you imagine that? Just just breathing them. He wasn't just saying them. That was just, ah, I got to get these guys. I got to get, you know, I'm going to kill these guys. I'm gonna, and that's the man that Paul was. Literally believed that he was doing the right thing. Really just understood what the Bible was saying to him until he had an, an encounter with Jesus Christ. When he had that encounter with Jesus Christ, he was blinded, knocked down. Jesus Christ taught him and talked to him and showed him, look, you are the vessel that I am choosing. Get up and go. And what's the best thing to do when God tells you to get up and go? What do you want to do? Get up and go, right? This is one of the reasons many of you guys are here today, because God says, get up and go. And Jesus says, I better get up and go. And we want to know what God wants from us to do. The one thing that Paul is trying to get across here is, look, I had it all. We're going to find out. I had it all. And by all intent and purposes, he was the cream of the crop. 
But you know what? Paul became a loser by everybody else's idea. Man, that man, he just threw it all away, threw it all away. And he says a little bit later, we'll read. He says, you know, it was all rubbish. The word that he uses actually is the word excrement. It was just a bunch of stinky stuff. It was nothing compared to the riches in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so Paul is preaching like from his heart in prison and he's not he's not really just uh, you know doomed and 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 mad and upset at the fact that they've accused him wrongly but he is preaching saying look guys you guys got to get it together come as one he says you got to walk this walk walk is is this do nothing from selfish ambition but we do that's all we do everything we do is based upon what i feel what i want we do it out of conceit, you know, because I'm better than you or maybe, you know, better than at least some of the people. We look around and we say, well, at least I'm better than that guy, yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, and there's everybody's better than that guy. There's nobody lower than that. We always pick the worst one. Everybody's better than that guy. You know, he's from San Bernardino. What do you expect? No. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, it's, it's just, it's just, you know, these people, it just seems like I, I can be better than that. And we can. The people that we need to, the person that we need to uh, line ourselves up with is Jesus Christ. He is the standard. And this is why Paul says, you know, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That word, we didn't talk about it much last week, but that word is not really in the Greek dictionary for the Grecians because humility was not something that they really looked at. Humility was not, no, no. They, were, they prided themselves on their intellect. They prided themselves on their achievements. They prided themselves on all that they had. And, and the fact that they were not humble, they never let anybody get one over on them. They were the top dog as far as they considered. And for And for... The Greeks, humility is just not a word that you really talk about. But Jesus Christ was humble. He was meek. And most of us in our Western society, and especially a lot of us guys, we think that meekness is weakness. And meekness is not weakness. Amen. Meekness, by the way, when you, when you train a horse, he's got all this power and it's out of control. And it can destroy and kill and do all kinds of things. But when a rancher gets a hold of a horse and he breaks them and he trains them, he harnesses that power to be able to accomplish whatever it is that the farmer or the rancher needs to get done. That horse still has the same power, but it is harnessed and it is called, that horse now is meek. It's meekness is power under control. Did Jesus Christ have power? Amen. He created all the universe. Everything was created by him. Did he, was he able to abolish everybody? Yes, he could have. But he had it under control, as we'll see here in just a bit. And so Paul says, I want you to have this meekness about you, this humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Unfortunately, as I just illustrated, I don't. I'm bagging us San Bernardinians, you know, and, and I shouldn't. But you know what? I'm no better than anybody else. I'm no better than the guy down the street. I'm no get better than the person that is, is home. I'm no better than any of those guys. We are all wretched sinners, the Bible calls us. We sang that song, uh, Amazing Grace, how sweet that sound, that saved a wretch like me. That song is about me. I am a wretch, and I know that I'm a wretch, and I'm a sinner saved by grace by Almighty God. And so Paul goes on to say, number, uh, verse 4, he says, let us... Uh, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And we start out with verse 5 today. 
And we were going to try to capture all of this last week. And to be honest with you, I don't even know if I can capture all of this today from 5 to 8 because this is such a theological truth. This is such a, a, a gem of Jesus Christ. This is such a, a, just a piece of, of work that Paul just pinned together and he put together. And I, and I want us to bow right now before we get into it and pray and ask God to just to show us what it is that he is bringing to us at this moment as we go through these verses in 5 uh, through 8. Let's pray. Father in heaven. We come to a place in our scriptures, in, our, in your scriptures, in, in our Bibles, Lord, that is about to explain to us who Jesus Christ is. We know that you and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one. We know that God is Father, Jesus Christ, the Son, and Holy Spirit is, is the, the author of the Bible. We know that there is no division and there's complete unity in, in all that, that you are and all that, that Jesus Christ is and all that the Holy Spirit is. And yet, at this point, Paul comes to explain to us on the steps that Jesus Christ took to go downward. One step after the other, in stepping down, and in stepping down, and in stepping down, even to the point of death. And so, Lord, I pray that you lead us this morning to get a grasp on this verse, that we can see the humility, and, and, and not only the humility, but, but also the embarrassing acts that were done upon our Lord and Savior, the vile wickedness that was intentionally inflicted upon him, just the, just the ugliness of this world of sinful man, what they can do to a human being, let alone our Lord and Savior. So Father, lead us this morning as we go through this passage, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Paul has this order. He has this statement. He has this command given to him by God, given to the people in Philippi, given to the church at North Park and throughout the world. He says, have this mind, have this mind, have this thought process, have this understanding, have this, this ability to be able to move forward through what Jesus Christ went through. You as well need to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, by the way. When you cross the line, when Jesus Christ opens your eyes, when you're born again, when you're regenerated, that you cannot become unregenerated. When you're born, you cannot become unborn. You, you, you don't become unborn just like you don't become uh, reborn. And you can't lose what God has given you because you never earned it. It is by grace that you're saved through faith. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And He is the one that gives us the salvation. He gives us the faith to believe. You are born again, and then you believe. You are born again, you are born into this world, and then you breathe. You don't start breathing before you're born. And a dead person, which the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, says that we are all dead. We were all dead in our trespasses. And because I was dead in my trespass, I could not reach out to God. I could not do anything because I am spiritually dead. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that I, I was an enemy of God. The Bible says that we hate God. The Bible says we don't want anything to do with God. 
I've heard people tell me, says, yeah, but, but I've always known about God. I've always loved God. And, and no, you love the picture of what was painted to you of who God is. But God is a God of wrath. He's a God of anger. He's a God that is going to justify everything by his wrath. And we don't talk about the wrath of God. We talk about the love of God. God is love. God is compassionate. God is merciful. God is forgiving. We know this. But on the opposite side, in order for him to be loving, compassionate, forgiving, on the other side, we have to understand that he's like that because of his wrath. And because of his wrath and his love, he saw fit in me to wake me up. I was dead in his trespasses. I was dead, dead, dead. Just like a person that is dead on the ground. And the EMTs come up to him and, and right about ready to, to paddle this guy with 1,500 volts or whatever it is. And right, right get into shock therapy to wake him up. They don't stop and say, okay, excuse me, sir, but do you mind? Can I, can I do this to you? Would you receive this electrical shock therapy? Would you just receive this? Will you please? You see, God doesn't need my permission. He doesn't need your permission to save you. He doesn't need, and I know many people have said to me, but, 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 but I came forward, but, 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 but you know, I raised my hand, but, but I, I, I said a prayer, and I got saved that way. If you're genuinely saved, you got saved in spite of that way. God might have used that, but the sinner's prayer has never, ever saved a person. I didn't do it. I couldn't just say a magical prayer and get saved. People have come up to me and says, Look, so what's the prayer that I got to do? What, what do I have to say? What do I have to do to get saved? It is by grace that you're saved. And by all definitions, grace in itself, grace is unmerited favor. In other words, it's something you don't deserve. You don't deserve it. Grace is not deserved. Grace is not earned. Grace is not bought. Grace is not worked for. It is by grace that you're saved, not by works. Not by anything I say, not by anything I do, not by anything the preacher has done to me or said to me or prophesied or prayed over me. It's by God's grace alone. And we've got to get that across to people. There are a lot of people walking around very, very deceived into thinking, well, I said the prayer, I'm good. You know, I mean, once saved, always saved, right? And living their life under delusion, believing that God loves them because, well, they said the prayer. And if that's the case, if all I have to do is say a prayer, if all I have to do is be good, if all I have to do is yeah. do the right things, then what Jesus Christ did on the cross was a waste of time. If all I have to do is be a pastor, do funerals, go visit people in the hospital, you know, and pray for people. That's, if that's all I have to do, then what Jesus did on the cross was a waste of time. Okay. And here's what Paul understood once he had that encounter with Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, there was genuine repentance in his life. And what is repentance? It's not just raising your hand and saying you confess and, and okay, I did that once. For Paul, it was a dramatic turnaround. Yes, it is a U-turn. It is a U-turn. But for Paul, he had to stop thinking the way he did about God. He had to stop thinking the way he did about Christ. And he had to start thinking about the way he was going. See, Paul really believed that he was doing the right thing. Paul really was acting and moving forward in doing the right thing. Paul really felt and understood that he was doing the right thing. But Paul was wrong, he was wrong, and he was wrong. And I got to come to a place in my life where I say, I, I, I am wrong, Lord, about what I thought. I am wrong about who you are, your character, your holiness. You are a holy God, and God cannot be offended. I mean, we offend him all the time. And because of that offense, because of what God, uh, we've done to God, because of that, there, therefore the Bible teaches that there is, that sin needs to be paid for. 
And Jesus Christ came on this planet to pay for that sin. Look at these verses with me. Look at this. Have this mind among you also, yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus, who though was in the form of God. Jesus Christ, right here in just that sentence, Paul proclaims Jesus Christ is God. In John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And throughout Scripture, Jesus Christ says, You know, I and the Father are one. We are one. Jesus Christ proclaimed that He Himself was God. The Old Testament prophesied and talked about this prophet, this Messiah, that not only is going to be man, as Jesus, as David had said, why is it that my Lord says to His Lord, sit at my right side? How can He be His Lord if He's the Lord? Or if He's a man? And In essence, what David was trying to get across is that these two are one. They didn't understand it. It wasn't comprehensible at that time until Jesus Christ came on the planet. In Isaiah 53, we've seen this before, but let's turn back to Isaiah 53 in your Bibles. In Isaiah 53, the king that was coming, the Messiah that was to come, the redeemer of Israel, to save Israel, to rescue them from this political unrest, to rescue them from all that was going on against the Jewish people. And we call this Isaiah 53, but it actually starts in 52, verse 13. And this is 750 years before Jesus Christ even comes on the scene. And so Israel is waiting for Messiah. Israel is waiting for this conquering king. Israel is waiting for all things to be set right according to God's standard. There's going to be a kingdom. They understand this. They know this. And they realize this. And they know it's going to come sometime soon. And Isaiah, in his prophecies, and in the time that he's talking about to these people, he's talking to them at a point in time when they are in captivity. And so therefore, as Isaiah is talking to them, God is speaking through Isaiah, telling Isaiah to tell the people, Messiah is coming. And these are the things that you can see. However, this portion of Scripture, even up to today, this portion of Scripture has been overlooked in so many, so many ways. In the Jewish synagogues, those are the gatherings of the Jewish people that meet on Saturday, on Shabbat, which is Saturday. They, they, they gather together and they have what's called a liturgy, a, a reading of, of literature that, that they're given. And they read through it, somewhat similar as to what a Catholic church has. The Catholic church, the Lutherans, they have this liturgy that they read. And everybody reads it together. And they go through this whole liturgy within two years or so. And with this portion of scripture and a few others, they are omitted from that reading that the Jewish people have. And if it's read, it's just glossed right over. As a matter of fact, when you go into the New Testament and you hear that Jesus Christ is talking to the two men that are walking to Emmaus, and they're dumbfounded at what happened, and Jesus walks up next to them, them not knowing it was Jesus, the resurrected Christ, that day, Jesus asks them, what are, you, what are you guys discussing? He says, well, just the things that happened in Jerusalem. What happened in Jerusalem? What, are you the only person? Are you, did you just fall out of the sky? You, don't hear, you didn't hear what happened? He goes, well, no. You know, I mean, tell me. And they says, well, the, the Jesus, our Lord, the one that we thought was going to redeem Israel, he, he just, you know, he, he, they killed him. The, the mur- they murdered him. And it was just sad. And somehow, for whatever reason, they just did not recognize Jesus. And Jesus tells them, he says, oh, ye of little faith, you foolish ones, don't you realize that everything that the prophets have said needed to happen about the suffering servant. And it is believed that when Jesus Christ went back all the way to Moses, I'm sure, that's what he says, went to the laws, the prophets, and the writings. He went all the way back to Moses and all in the Old Testament. And I've been doing a study of the Old Testament gospel. 
on where Jesus Christ is prophesied about. And it is amazing, beloved. If you, can, if you just one day just go back and look at all these, and I can give you all the verses that I've been looking at. But the one that really stands out is Isaiah 53. This one here. You know, in Psalm 22, if you want to write that one down. In Psalm 22, it talks about his hands being pierced and his side being uh, cut open and his feet being pierced. How dogs are circling him. How they, they, they cast lots for his garments and how they ridicule him and laugh at him. They wag their finger at him and they say, you who saved many, save yourself. Yeah. This is Isaiah. This is in Psalms 500 years before, uh, before the... Uh, 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 Jesus Christ is born. But here, Isaiah is talking about all these things that are taking place. And here's what he's talking about. And, and, and here, this, this one portion of Scripture, and I'm going to start in 52, verse 13. He says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of ch- children of mankind, so shall the sprinkling, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see; and that which they have not heard, they understand. What what Isaiah is showing here in verse fourteen, he says, "Look, he was. They were astonished, and many were astonished at him. At you, he's talking about Messiah. His then, then he's talking to us. His appearance was so marred." And, and if you know anything about the crucifixion, they, 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 uh, they, they whipped Jesus so hard. And so many times, if you've seen the Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson, Mel Gibson did an excellent job in going back into history, looking at what the Parthians did and how they, they, they came up with this crucifixion thing. And right here, let me tell you something, beloved. Right here, Isaiah is talking about a crucifixion that hasn't even been invented yet. The crucifixion didn't get invented until about 300 years later. To almost three, 350 years prior to Christ, they started hanging people just to display them out in the open. Then they started nailing their hands. The Parthians started, hey, this is, this is pretty cool. We can just hang them up out there and, and warn people not to go up against us. But it was the Romans. It was the Romans who perfected it to the art of this vile, cruel execution. And when, when they persecuted somebody, when they crucified somebody, and there were many crucifixions, Jesus is not the only one. As a matter of fact, that's one of the reasons we don't get a lot of detail in Scripture. Because when the Bible says that they crucified him, when they say they crucified everybody, oh man, it just kind of, you know, just sends shivers down your stomach. You know, like we can say he was executed by electrocution. Well, we know what that entails for those of you that follow, you know, the, 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 the chemicals that they give them, the sedatives that they give them, the strapping down that they, you know, you understand how that goes. And, and I want you to know something, beloved, that John the Baptist, he was beheaded. Okay, he was beheaded. Stephen was stoned. Others were, were cut in two. Some were uh, lit on fire. Uh, you know, Paul is going to be beheaded as well. There are many types of execution in the world at that time. But somehow, for the Romans, and they didn't know this, God's plan was already prophesied 750 years ago. He had to be marred. It's not like Jesus is, okay, you guys got to, first of all, you guys got to whip me up really bad so nobody can see who I am. And Mel Gibson did an excellent job of describing, showing what the cat of nine tails is, with the, the leather strips that are behind it, are, are on top of it, and, and the bones and the shrapnel that's tied to each, each one of those pieces of leather uh, strips, and, and how it just cut chunks of flesh off of yeah. Jesus' body, and how it, 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 you know, and some people say, well, he was, he was whipped 40 minus one lashes, wasn't he? No, he was whipped by the Romans. 
See, the Jews understood that when you're in trouble and you get punished, you would get the 40 minus 1. That's 39 lashes. And it was usually done with the long reed. It was done with the long rod. And they would put you up against the pole the same way and just hit you as hard as they could 39 times because they knew if they went over 39 that you would die. I guess they must have known that by experience. But that's not what Jesus endured. That was by the Jewish persecutors. The Romans, on the other hand, they were vile. They were wicked. They were mean, spirited, and they were just, just willing to just do whatever. They didn't know this Jesus. They might have heard about him. And this crucifixion was just one of many. It is estimated that in the time of Jesus Christ, there was over 30,000 crucifixions done in, in the 30-year three three, uh, 30 period of Jesus Christ. In one day alone, they executed, they, they uh, crucified 2,500 people in one day alone. At the time when Jesus might have been a teenager, historical records show. But see, we don't have these facts and these records in Scripture. All we have is that he was crucified. And it had to be according to the way God had already preordained it. And then he goes on to say that he will sprinkle many nations. Look at verse 1 and 53. Verse 1 says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of the ground, out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. What Isaiah is saying, Messiah is going to come and he's going to be neglected. Just like one of those shoots that come out of the ground. I have a fig tree in my backyard and every once in a while those little branches come out and they get in the way because the kids play around there and I have to cut them back. They're meaningless. They're nothing. And I just cut them and throw them away. And that's what Messiah was going to be. And he was going to be this little shoot, just cut it, throw it in the fire and get rid of it. And, and that's this shoot that he's talking about, like a dry root out of the ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. There was nothing spectacular about Jesus. He was born in a stable. He, 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 did, he wasn't born to a king or to a president or a government official. He wasn't born to a person of prominence. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a stable. And he came to us in, in such a very small, demeaning way. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, which he was. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we, deceived, and we esteemed him not. In other words, people just kind of, you know, I don't know. At the very beginning, when Jesus goes into Jerusalem, on Palm Sunday, they call it Palm Sunday. It wasn't called Palm Sunday that day. But it was the day that the Jewish people would bring in the sacrificial lamb that they were to sacrifice on the following Sabbath. That was the right before Passover. And every Jewish male was required to bring a Passover lamb. And it was supposed to be a one-year-old lamb without spots, a spotless, no blemish. It was supposed to be a purified, perfect lamb. And they would bring it to the priest, and the priest would inspect it. And they would say, okay, this one's ready to go. Take it home. Okay, this one's ready to go. And so what the people would do is they would take their lamb home, and they would keep it with them. People would travel for miles. And some people couldn't bring a lamb, so they'd buy them at the temple. And, of course, Jesus overturned their money changers because they were doing crooked things. Some people didn't have the temple temple tax or the temple money, so it had to be exchanged, and they would rob them and trick them. And that's why Jesus overturned these temples, these tables. He said, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. And so they would bring this lamb, they would present it to the priest, the priest would examine it, and they would take it home, and that lamb would live with the family for a few days. And they'd become really attached to it. 
And, and you wonder, you know, that, that's kind of morbid, don't you think? It's like having a, 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 a goat or a rabbit or, a, you know, a, a pet. Yeah. Okay, guys, uh, dad's got to go take it to get slaughtered. What? You know, but, but you know, and, and, it's, and it's a way of having the Israelites recognize the loss, the pain, and everything that God had done from the very beginning. He had set it up just right. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, they would take the they would take the lambs up to the uh, up to up to the, the the altar, and they would sacrifice them one by one, one by one, one by one. And it was at three o'clock in the afternoon that Jesus Christ died. And that that week, that which we call Palm Sunday, that Sabbath, Jesus Christ presented Himself as the sacrificial lamb. And everybody says, hey, we know this guy, Hosanna on the highest. He's going to save us. This is Messiah. You see all the food he fed us with. You see all the miracles that he's done. You see all the teaching. Man, there's nobody can out-teach him. This guy is it. He's legit. He's the guy. And the priests are looking, you know, this, this guy can't be it. You know, it doesn't matter about all, about all these things that they're doing. You know, it, it doesn't matter. And they were jealous. They were mad. If they would have just looked at this chapter if they had just looked at this portion of scripture, they would have seen Messiah. A lot of people did, as a matter of fact. On Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down and filled the apostles with the Holy Spirit, and they began to preach, they preached this message. The, the, the one prophesied to us, you handed him up, you had him killed. That one, that one there, he is the Messiah. Look, look at it. And other people say, no, 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 you know what? Let's just get rid of that portion of scripture. We're not going to read it anymore because they were looking for a conquering king. That's not our king. But it was prophesied that that, that's what he had to go through. Look at number four. This is the atonement. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We are healed from the sin of this world. We are healed by what Jesus Christ had done from everlasting damnation. You see, and go back, go back to verse four again. Surely he was he borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The sacrificial lamb, what it was supposed to do, it was a symbol of Israel sinning, and they would take it forward. And and this is our sacrificial lamb, absolve us of all sin. God says, okay, you're absolved. You know, this is just temporary. It wasn't permanent. It couldn't be permanent because it was permanent. They didn't have to come back every year. And as a matter of fact, every day. They would have sacrifices that people would bring for sins that they would commit. Like, for instance, they would bring turtle doves, they would bring pigeons, they would bring lambs, they would bring goats, they would bring rams. Whatever they, they was prescribed for their sin, they would bring it. You remember when Jesus Christ healed uh, the, 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 the blind man and, and ten of them and you know, only one came back and he says, okay, go present yourself to the priest and give the offering that is needed. Because you were, you, were, uh, you were defiled, but now you're cleansed. He did that to the, the leopard as well. But, but anyways, there was this standard that they had to use. Every day there was some kind of sacrifice. But it didn't take away the whole sin, just that one sin. And when Jesus Christ came, He took out the whole sin of the world. And that's what He's talking about here. Surely He, he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced, again, referring back to the crucifixion. You see, Paul, Jesus Christ could have been executed by stoning. He could have been executed by hanging. He could have been executed by 
beheading. He could have been executed in many different ways. But it was by the crucifixion. These people that saw Jesus Christ come in and they saw, there he is, our Messiah. He's the one. And then at the end, when they take him up to be beaten, this ain't our Messiah. Crucify him. Yeah, get rid of him. Just get rid of him because he's not the guy. Yeah, maybe he fed us. Maybe he did some miracles. And, and you know, beloved, we, we look at the story of Jesus Christ and the crucifixion. And we look at what the, the people did there. And you know that every time that I sin, I'm doing the same thing. Every time that I'm sin, I'm standing there and I'm yelling out, you know, just get, get him out of my face. Crucify him because my sin is grievous and I know that I have offended a holy God and, and I don't want to see him. And many people get the wrong message and say, I don't want to go to church. I messed up. You know, I, I don't want to go before God because, you know, I, I, you know, whatever. Fill in your excuse. That's exactly where you need to be. God knows what you've done. Yeah. You don't confess to God yeah. to tell him something he doesn't already know. You don't come to God and start praying, okay, God, I'm going to confess to you. This is a doozy. God's not, God's not up there thinking, okay, what did he do? What did he do? What did he do? You know, I just can't wait to hear what he did. No. Okay, God, here comes God. Hold on to your horses or whatever, your angels or whatever you got up there. And I'm just going to tell you straight up. See, the word confession means to agree with God. And you've got to speak it out in order to see it. God, I agree with you. I am a sinner. And this is what I've done. And you know what God's going to say to you? He's going to say, I know. I know you're a sinner. You know, and that's why I had to send Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you. Because I know that you can't pay that penalty. You can't pay that penalty. There's no way that you can do this. This is why he was smitten. Look at this. This is very interesting. Paul, uh, excuse me, Isaiah goes on to say in verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah's looking at this. He's looking forward and he's looking at what happened to Jesus Christ and what God is doing to Jesus Christ and how all our iniquity is laid upon him. Just like the rams and the lambs that we've been doing every year and every time that we sin and we bring it before God. That is temporary. This is always. Verse 7. And here's what Jesus Christ did. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before his shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Now, if you've read the story of the crucifixion, if you've seen the movie Passion of the Christ, Jesus said very little. Oh, he had every right to say this is wrong. A Jewish trial, by the way, a Jewish trial was never done at night. It was always done at day. They did three of them that night. There was three of them. And as a matter of fact, when they took him to Pilate and took him to Herod, I, said, I don't find anything wrong with him. Herod says, I'm washing my hands of him. Herod's wife says, you know, don't have anything to do with this guy. There's something not right. You know, this, this, these people are crazy. Just get away. Just let him go. And he says, okay, well, you know what? Let me just do this. Let me appease you guys. There's this murderer here. There's this guy that has committed murder. You know, and it's customary for me to release somebody. Should I let, let him go or let Barabbas go? Let Barabbas grow, crucify him. And then that's when he said, you know, maybe if I just had him flogged, you guys would be okay with it. To the point of death. You know, and we do the same thing. You know what? I'd rather hang out with the vile, the wicked. And, you know, I feel comfortable there. 
You know, there's, there's companionship there. It's not fellowship. There's, there's things that we have in common. You know, I, I can't hang out with Jesus. You know, he's just like... It's interesting because yesterday we were at uh, this, the lake and we were having a good time and we we're talking and, you know, we met this family and we're talking with them. And, you know, they were really nice people. And, and then I asked them right before the fireworks show started last night, I asked them, do you guys have chairs? And he goes, oh, yeah, we go to the church over at so-and-so. And I go, what? He goes, yeah, well, did you ask us if we had a church? I go, no. <laughs> I asked if you had chairs. Oh, I thought you said we had, if you had a church. He goes, yeah, well, anyways, I'm sorry. And I, well, you know, I'm glad you misunderstood me at least about that, nothing else. Then he asked me. Do you have a church? I go, well, I pastor a church. Oh, brethren. It's kind of like all of a sudden people stand at attention and are speaking a little bit different language. And, you know, they, they, you know, they, they go, oh, brethren, yes. Uh, you know, let's uh, put this down here. How art thou? You know, flowery language and stuff. They weren't drinking, by the way. But, but it, all of a sudden the attitude changes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I know. Okay, it's all right. I've done it before. And anyways, and I don't do that on purpose, but he said to me, he says, you got a beautiful family. You know that? I can see why. Well, if you knew, if you only knew, these, these little demons, you know, that are running around here, these vipers and diapers, man. They're, just, they're all sinners. All of them. All of us. No. And, and, but the point is, is that at one point, either we're going to hang out with Barabbas or we're going to hang out with Jesus. I'd rather hang out with Barabbas, you know, because, you know, I have to watch my Q's and Q's and just walk on eggshells around Jesus. Now, why don't you just, as Paul said, walk the life that is worthy. Live the call that you have received. Live worthy of the call, as Paul had shared with us. Live in that sense because what Jesus Christ did. Let, Let me finish this here. He opened He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened out his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This is interesting. Isaiah says this twice. He didn't open his mouth. He didn't open his mouth. He didn't say a word, except for when when, uh, Herod asked him, he says, are are you the king of the Jews? Well, you say that I am. And and, uh, he he says, I I tell you the truth. And Herod says, what is truth? You know, that's the question that's always... There are a few conversations that he had. But apart from that, he didn't defend himself. He could have. He didn't speak up. He didn't say anything. He was a sheep going to slaughter. I I can vividly see this myself. We raised goats and sheep. And I remember, you know, having to take the sheep out in the back. We had these scissors that you would kind of trim the, all the wool off of them first as you had to trim, and then take them to slaughter. We'd take them out to the back part and, you know, we'd, we'd either put a, a knife through their side and spill the blood and, and that's the way it was done, you know. And then we beheaded them and, and uh, everything, skinned them and we had barbacoa. I mean, it was just a natural thing, but a sheep would never say anything. They would never cry. They would never yell out. If you see a sheep going to slaughter, he's happy. Dumb animals, you know, hey, what's going on? You're going to get slaughtered. Oh, really? Come on, let's go. <laughs> do, you, do you ever realize or wonder why, why is it that Jesus Christ called us sheep? Hey, where are you going? I don't know. I'm going to destruction. I'm going to die, I guess. You know, it's not that bad. We're dumb animals, just like the sheep. We'll eat anything. These goats and sheep, they'll eat anything. They would. You got to be careful as what you, what, what you fed them. This is why the Lord is our shepherd. He leads us beside still waters to, to places that are, 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 don't eat that. Why not? I want to see what it tastes like. What is it going to do to me? You know, as long as I want to have that much, just a little bit. And these sheep, 
that, that we talk about, Jesus Christ was the same way. They looked at him. And if they would only have heard, read and studied Isaiah 53. He didn't open his mouth. Verse 8. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And for this generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the trans- transgression of my people. And they made him his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. You know the story? Jesus Christ dies. He's on the cross. The, the Passover is the next day. The Pharisees come and say, we don't want him up there. Can you just, can you hurry up this death? We don't want bodies messing up our party. Come on. And so they go out and they stab the one guy. Uh, well, actually, they break his legs and he dies. And don't know if you understand how crucifixion actually worked. The crucifixion was never meant to kill somebody. It was meant more to torture you. And you died finally by fatigue. You would just hang on your lungs and you would suffocate. You know, but, but every inch of your body was climbing and striving to stay alive as long and as possible. That's just our human instinct. And some people, after a while, they learn how to do that just to, just to, just to die. So they start putting little seats up so you can sit on them. That's what I'm telling you. The Romans perfected this. They put a little seat up there so you can sit on it. And after a while, these guys would push themselves off, and they would hang there, and they would die. And so what the Romans did, as cruel as it sounds, they would put little spikes on these seats, and they would sit you on it just so you can live longer. They would give you gall and vinegar to, to, to soften the blow so you wouldn't be... And, and they'd give you water so that you can last a lot longer. And It was vile. It was wicked. This is what Jesus Christ went through for you and for me. This is what he went through. And he was oppressed. And and this is interesting. They made his grave with the wicked. When a person was crucified, and after he died, several days, sometimes even almost a week or, or, or so, 10 days, they would last on this cross. And of course, the birds of the air would come and they'd pick the flesh off the bodies and the, the animals would come and eat the flesh and they would t- tear it all apart. Whatever was left after some time, they would take them down and they would throw them in this place called the place of burning. It was called Gehenna, which a lot of people now refer to it as hell. But Gehenna was this burning place where all the junk and all the trash and all the vile people, everybody that was hung on the cross, they would throw them in there. By all intent and purposes, that's where Jesus Christ was going to. He was going to end up in that pile. This place that just burnt for, they had sulfur on it, in it, and it continued to burn, and it continued to burn, and it continued to burn. Yet, as you know the story, Joseph and Nicodemus. Joseph says, you know what, can, can, I, can I take the body down? Can, can, you know, would you let us take it down? I, I have a tomb that I can put him in. He was a rich man. Rich people were the only ones that had tombs. He was a rich man. Can I take his body? Take it. Make sure he's dead first. All right. The centurion says, this truly was the Son of God. Another confession. And Nicodemus and, and these guys were secret Christians at that time because for fear of the Jews. Nicodemus was one of the priests. As a matter of fact, as the gospel gets spread, we'll find out that more priests come to know who Jesus Christ was, what he endured, what he did, and how Isaiah 53 matched matched Jesus Christ's life. The Bible says that they took him down from the cross and they wrapped him with about 100 pounds of perfume and ointments and myrrhs and all kinds of uh, things, you know, just just to wrap him in this gauze in about 100 pounds. And they took his body, they put him in Joseph's tomb. Never used. What did Isaiah say? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. He was supposed to go to the wicked, 
But Lazarus came in and took him to his place. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Now this is verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. God knew that the only, only way for you and I to ever enter into the kingdom of heaven is to be able to appease his wrath. The Bible calls this propitiation. He was the propitiation for all the brethren for us. The Bible calls it a propitiation. Propitiation is you're appeasing a God or a, a, a deity so that it doesn't continue on and harming you and hurting you. So you have to offer up some sort of propitiation. Jesus Christ was our propitiation. And it pleased God to crush him. Because of his amazing grace that he had for me, that he has for you. Because of his amazing grace that he has for those that he's waking up from the dead. This cannot be done by anyone else. This cannot be done by me, by you, by a church, by anyone else. But through God, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Yet, it was the will of God to crush him. He was put to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. In other words, he's already made this guilt offering. And he shall see his offspring, those that are committed to him. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall and he shall divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah saw this picture. Isaiah saw what God was doing. Isaiah knew that it was going to take place. When Paul gets to the point of, and I told you we weren't going to be able to get through this in one city. When Paul says. In verse 5, he says, Have this mind among you also, which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He was fully God, and he was fully man, and he emptied himself. And we're going to go over what those, those things that he emptied himself of. And he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. See, he, he is in the form of God. Did not account equality with God. A thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, took another step down. By taking on the form of a servant, he became a bondservant. Being born in the likeness of man, came down a little bit lower. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, even to the point of humility, to being crucified and all that he went through, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The lowest and the worst type of death that anybody can experience. And Isaiah saw this. Paul capitalizes on it. Look back in the Old Testament. Look at it. You got to remember that when the apostles were preaching the gospel, the good news, they didn't have the Romans road. They didn't have the four spiritual laws. They didn't have the New Testament. All they had was what God had already showed them who Jesus Christ is going to be, to be the deliverer, not in a physical manner, but in a spiritual manner. Now, there is a physical kingdom coming. 
And he's going to establish his kingdom. And every knee will bow. It's a promise. Every tongue will confess. Every knee. Even the Jewish people that had him executed. They will see it. A lot of them will believe and a lot of them can't believe. But it's coming to a point where we will see this Jesus Christ. Let me ask you to stand. In order to understand what Paul is trying to get across here, we have to look at the the gospel of God. Before we can look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of God is what Isaiah points to, is what Psalm 22 points to, is what uh, Genesis 3.10 points to in the beginning, what what, uh, Moses Moses had said. And, and you see that all in the Old Testament and you're going through it and you're seeing Jesus Christ being revealed. And when Jesus Christ comes on the scene and, and, and as the, the apostles, they recognize this. And Jesus didn't pick the, the most intellectual people. He picked a bunch of knuckleheads like us, you know. And he picked us and he says, you know, I want you to go share this gospel message because the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be upon you and you're going to proclaim the word of God. Don't worry about what people say about you. Don't even worry about what you have to to eat or to sleep with. Don't worry about your life. Isn't life worth more? Isn't it? Isn't Jesus Christ worth more than your life? Don't worry about your life. Worry about the one that can send the body and the life to hell. Just worry about what you need to do. Live a life worthy. Father, we thank you for this portion of Scripture. We just barely scratched the surface trying to understand where this comes from and Paul's thinking and, and how he's telling us to, be, uh, to live humble lives like, like Jesus Christ and to, to live in this manner. And, and we know he was crucified, but I think that today we, we might have seen a little bit more what the crucifixion entailed. And, and why did it have to be a crucifixion? Why wasn't it a hanging? Why wasn't it a beheading? But God, you had already prophesied and you already showed us that that's what it was supposed to be. And Lord, we have no indication or clues to try to figure out why it is that you're doing these things. We just need to believe and trust you. That Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried and resurrected. And one day he's coming back. And for those that proclaim your name, for those that believe in that message, for those that believe what you've done for them, they will be saved. And so we understand, Lord, that this word believe is more than just an intellectual knowledge. It's more than just an intellectual knowledge of knowing who Jesus Christ is. We know that the demons know who you are and they're not going to be saved. There is this intimate knowing, this intimate knowledge, this intimate knowing like Abraham knew Sarah, like Adam knew Cain. There is this knowing you, Lord, this uh, ability to, to try, go, go beyond any other barrier that we can have because of who you are and knowing that you're going to see us through. Paul was in prison, Lord. Some of us are in our prisons, in our own life. Some of us are wondering how to get out of here and how to get out of it. Our first and foremost priority is to place our faith upon what you did and how you had put this into place over 750 years before Jesus Christ was even born. 2,000 years of this message has been preached and proclaimed. And I pray, Lord, that we can, we can take that message and apply it to our life. As we share in this uh, Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, as we share in your table, Lord, the bread and the juice that we take, it, it points us back to the day that you experienced the crucifixion. It, it points us back to the day that you were cruel and, and, and very ugly, Lord, on how it happened. But it also points us forward to the day that we will share this with you. Search our hearts as we prepare for this time. Search our hearts, Lord, right now. 
Forgive the, the sin that, that those are proclaiming even now. And Lord, those, are, those sins that you are bringing to light even now, Lord, forgive us for that. As we prepare to, to be ready to take this juice and this bread. Thank you, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to experience the Lord's Supper and go with it. Uh, for those of you that are going to partake, this is an open communion. So you can all, if you'd like to go to the center aisle and go straight back here and then come back around this way. Paul said to the people in Corinth, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We'll take our wafer. We'll give thanks, as Paul had instructed, as Jesus instructed Paul. And then we'll break it, and then we'll take it as we do this in remembrance of what Jesus Christ did for us. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this wafer that represents the body of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you help us to visualize even more so that cruel cross. We look at it on our rearview mirror or walls or t-shirts or bumper stickers, and we see it, and we look at it as a piece of jewelry or just an artifact. But Father, that cross is a cross of shame, humiliation, a vile wickedness by people that wanted to stop what it was that you're doing. But your love cannot be stopped. It's, an, it's a movement that you put into place way before Jesus Christ. And so I thank you for that. As we take this bread, we do this in remembrance of our Lord Jesus. Amen. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, looking backwards, until he comes, looking forward. Father in heaven, thank you for this juice that represents the blood of Jesus and how it was poured out. Once again, we see now that this was not an accident, that it pleased you to crush him. Because that was the only way that you can get us to the place of being with you. So Lord, as we look at this juice, the, co the color, the consistency, we ask that you bless it and bless the vine that it came from. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone says? Let's take it. Lord, and once again, as we depart this place, never from your presence, we pray that you send us forward. Help us to understand that our task is not just Sunday morning. It's an all-day task. It's an all-week task. It's an all-life task. As we share tomorrow with our friends and family, help us to be safe and be ready to proclaim the gospel. Thank you, Father, once again, we pray in Jesus' name. And we all say, Amen. 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 And we're, we're dismissed. Now.